0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So today we're carrying on in our series about Fire. And um, recently, I've actually uh, started learning to drive. I don't know if anyone else is learning to drive at the moment. And um, one thing that I've noticed um, as I've been learning to drive is that it's very, very important to pay attention. (laughs) Very important. And um, of course, you need to pay attention when you're an experienced driver, but when you're starting out, you really need to pay attention. And I can feel myself sitting at the the steering wheel like this. And multiple times, my driving instructor tells me, Abby, just drop your shoulders, just just chill. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) and I'm sure it'll get better but paying attention is so important I can't let my mind drift off too much I need to be looking at that road ahead and looking out for those hazards. Attention leads to awareness and I think this is true of our relationship with God. When we come to worship we're turning our attention towards him. When we worship God we turn our whole attention to him because he's always with us but There's something about focusing in on him in that moment. And when we focus on God, we're more aware of his presence. Mary Oliver, an acclaimed poet, said this, attention is the beginning of devotion. We've all surely been in a situation where someone hasn't really been giving us their attention. Maybe they're glancing over our shoulder. They're looking for someone else they want to chat to or the cake that's on offer. Maybe they're thinking about dinner or... This one is really big. People get their phones out right in front of us. Yeah, yeah, you lot. I'm watching. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to be a threat. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? In, in our society, people have got their phones out all of the time and they're not really paying attention. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. And that equates to about two and a half hours per day on their device. Our attention is so fleeting. We are so distracted. We have multiple things going on at once, and maybe we feel that our focus can't be on one thing. Research also suggests that our attention spans are dropping, that we've had this digital revolution that's helped us out in many ways, but has also taken our attention. I think sometimes we pay attention to the wrong things and we start to worship other people or activities or things in our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we need to reflect on this problem. We are devoted to Jesus. We want to learn from him. We want to worship him. We want to feel his presence among us. And if attention is the beginning of devotion, then we need to talk a little bit about what's captivating our hearts. What idols are in Jesus' place? What false gods take our gaze away from the true God? We're going to be looking at an Old Testament passage in 1 Kings today. And in this part of the story of God's people, giving attention to the wrong things was a big theme. And we're going to look at the impact of false gods, what God's people do and how our God shows up. And Like I said, we're currently in a series about fire. And throughout scripture, God shows up in fire in many ways. Um, We've heard about a fire that consumes. Tim spoke about that a few weeks ago. And today we're going to be thinking about a fire that defeats. God is a fire that overcomes and defeats all opposition. The question is, are we paying enough attention to that fire? Are we aware of its power? Or have other idols captivated our attention? We're going to read our Bible passage, if you've got your Bible or your phone. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 20. So Ahab sent the word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it onto wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spirits spears as was their custom until their blood flowed midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice came but there was no response no one answered no one paid attention then Elijah said to all the people come here to me they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood, Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filling the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. So if you're not familiar with One Kings, I'll just give you a bit of a summary of of what's happening in that crazy story. One Kings is all about those who obey God and those who disobey God throughout the ruling kings of Israel and Judah. And the book describes the rule of Solomon as the last king of Israel and then the split of the kingdom. See, Solomon was wise, but he did many unwise things. I'm sure we've got some friends like that. He went and uh, married some other king's wives. He worshipped some false gods. And after his death, the kingdom was divided into north and south. And there was this revolution. The south was called Judah and the north was called Israel. All the kings after Solomon that tried to lead Israel failed. They kept disobeying God. But then a guy called Ahab becomes king and Ahab marries Jezebel and Jezebel was an idol worshipper and the whole kingdom started worshipping idols. Then a prophet named Elijah comes on the scene and Elijah announces there will be a drought and then God sends him out into the wilderness and then we get to 1 Kings 18 where we are today and Elijah finally goes back to Israel to have a kind of showdown with King Ahab and 450 prophets of Baal, Baal's the idol. They join in. Elijah wanted the people to know whose God is real, Baal or the Israelites' God. So my first point for this evening is that idols capture our attention and diminish our awareness of God. The Baal worshippers were so far away from God, they were worshipping and giving their attention to other gods. And this story in 1 Kings wasn't the first time that God's people do that. You know, way back when Moses was given the Ten Commandments, they were told that they shouldn't worship any other gods beside the true God. But still, some people disobeyed and created their own idols. We can maybe think of wooden carved statues or golden calves or these fictitious gods in the Old Testament. But actually, to put it in context for us today, an idol could be any person, any activity or object that you give a higher priority in your life than a relationship with God. An idol could be your job. It could be your relationship, your home, even your family. An idol could be a digital device. It could be what you look at on that device. An idol can be alcohol, having a good time, drugs, sex... An idol can be serving in church. It can be committing all of your energy and time to one thing. And some of these things are damaging in and of themselves, but many of them aren't bad. But when they become our top priority over our relationship with the living God, they can become idolatrous. They take our attention away from God and lessen our awareness of his presence. I've recently been reading a book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it, he's unpacking the hurry and busyness in our chaotic world and what the Bible offers for what we can feel as being tired souls. And the book has really made me think about what I give my attention to and how aware I am of, of God in my day to day. John Mark argues that what we give our attention to is the person we become. What we give our attention to is the person we become. So just to join those dots up for you. um, When we, oh sorry, I just lost my place. (laughs) Um, We want to become like Jesus and do the things he did. So our attention has to be on him. It's not a legalistic thing because God's presence is such a gift. It's there to bless us and encourage us as we do the things he asks of us. We have been saved by grace and have communion with the living God. I mean, we've got testimony of that from the past 24 hours in that prayer room, um, of God turning up. When we gave him our time and our attention, we felt his presence tangibly in that room. But like the bar worshippers, we can sometimes give our attention to other things. And it might start out as something good, like working really hard at our degree or going for a promotion at work um, or trying to devote more time to our relationships. But sometimes this can snowball into the only thing we care about. We can start to live and breathe work. Maybe we drop out of our community group or rarely meet with God. Maybe our Bible gathers dust or we lose our streak on our Bible app account. We can be utterly devoted to one person and maybe leave little room for God in our lives. It's easy to see certain things as like bigger sins or worse idols. But actually God was clear to his people that we shouldn't make idols of anything. An idol in one person's life is going to be really different to the person sat next to them. But it's true, we we all have them. And I think as broken people, we can look to anything and everyone for connection. We want to feel whole. And we try all of these things to make us feel better. We trade our attention for fleeting contentment. But what does this story in one king's teach us? Well, attention is the beginning of devotion. And where we place our devotion really matters. The worshippers of Baal gave all of their attention to a false god. They'd lost awareness of the God of Israel. And so when they offered up their sacrifice, there was no response. No one answered. Their prayers to Baal meant nothing. And calling on idols isn't going to help us. It's not what we were designed for. We were created to have a relationship with God. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to take our place and give us access to the throne room. And the good news is that God can overcome any opposition. The idols we might be facing are no match for a God whose fire defeats Second point, God can overcome any opposition. So we'll just go back into our story and take a deeper look at this competition between the Baal worshippers and Elijah. So both groups had built an altar and provided a bull as a sacrifice. And animal sacrifice was common practice in the ancient Near East. And the Israelites, like us, were sinful and corrupt human beings. And they thought that their sacrifice would be a way to cleanse them, to purify them, because they were in desperate need of God. And so they used those animal sacrifices as a way to turn away from sin. It was a kind of way to pay their debt to God. The life of an animal was a symbolic substitute for the people. It was a ransom payment that would cover them. The word cover is a literal meaning of the Hebrew word kofa, which can be translated into atonement. The action of sacrifice or atonement was a way of making amends for their wrong. And for us, Jesus pays it all. Jesus would be that sacrifice that would make all believers right with God again. So Elijah um, actually gives the prophets of Baal a bit of an advantage. He says to them, you guys go pick the bull. And he wants to make sure that they really, truly see that his God is real. And they set up these altars and they have a bit of a prayer fight on Mount Carmel. The sacrifices aren't going to be lit by Elijah or the prophets. They're waiting for this supernatural fire to come. Baal was thought to be a sky god it was thought that he could send lightning or fire that he could control the weather so actually this would be an easy task for him if he was real the Baal worshippers call on the name of Baal oh Baal hear us Baal answer us but there was no answer And so they started shouting and dancing around the altar. And I think that's just a hilarious picture, that they were dancing around this altar, leaping with loads of enthusiasm. And I bet Elijah was just stood there thinking, God, this lot. They just just don't know. They're just such idiots. Like, don't they know that their God is not real? And Elijah even mocks them. It's, it's funny to picture a, a big Bible character like Elijah doing something like that, having a bit of banter, being sarcastic. Shout louder, come on. Maybe Baal's asleep. Go on, shout louder. Maybe he's, maybe he's washing his hair. The prophets of Baal were trying to work harder at their prayer. They shouted louder, they cried, they cut themselves. They were utterly sincere. They were completely devoted but to the wrong God. No one answered and no fire came. It was then Elijah's turn to sacrifice and he wanted to get the attention of the people. They needed to pay attention so they would see that the Lord was the true God. Remember, attention leads to awareness. Elijah wanted to make such a deep impression on the people that he made the task required of God even harder. So he went and said, guys, go and get some jugs of water and then I want you to put it onto that sacrifice. He tells them to do it multiple times so that the sacrifice is absolutely soaking and all around the altar is a pool of water. Not exactly an easy thing to set alight. Elijah prays a courageous prayer asking that God would make himself known. And the fire of the Lord fell. God manifested himself in such a way that nobody there could deny that he was God. The fire burnt up, the bull, the wood and everything on the altar, even the water around it. Everyone who was watching was in awe. Some of them, it says, fell down. Some people were shouting, saying, the Lord he is God. And that's an amazing picture that they were once these people who worshipped idols were dancing around an altar for a fake God. And they see the fire of the Lord fall and they realise who is real. Idols are no match for the fire of God. We worship the true God who is powerful and shows up. Elijah asked for God to move and he did. And sometimes it can feel like we have barriers in accessing God. Sometimes we worry that these idols, these things we worship have built up over time. Maybe we're a bit ashamed of them. Maybe we've never told anyone that's something we struggle with. But when we ask God to move, he does. When our attention is fixed on him and we're aware of his presence, opposition can be defeated. And those idols are no threat to God. He really wants your affection. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. We don't just come here out of routine or tradition We come here because God wants to meet with his people. He wants to experience our affection. And he can help us when we call on him. So the third point, the final point, we are to turn our hearts back to God again. See, in that story, Elijah put himself and God on the line. There were hundreds of people watching as he stood there and said, no, I believe my God is real. He had a lot of faith and that faith wasn't an easy win it had built up over months of daily dependence on God Because Elijah had his eyes fixed fully on the Lord he was aware of what God was doing Elijah had many reasons to be confident that God would turn up For one he was following God's instructions In 1 Kings 18:36 it says that Elijah prayed to God effectively saying that look here I'm doing what you've commanded Lord. Elijah also knew of the history of his people he could look back at Israel and see that God would turn up that he could send fire from heaven upon a sacrifice and actually you can read about some of those stories in Judges 6 and 2 Chronicles 7 where God sends fire In his courageous prayer, Elijah asks that God would turn the people's hearts back to him again. May they know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Turning our hearts back to God means surrendering our lives to him. Whether that's for the first time and you're just meeting with Jesus or whether that's the thousandth time. James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God invites us to turn to him, to posture our hearts towards him. A few years ago, I was on a trip with an internship I was doing and uh, we were in Sao Paulo in Brazil. There are an estimated 100,000 people living rough on the streets of Sao Paulo and so we went to visit a charity that was doing something about that. And this project was amazing. It had this insanely good model of development. Um, essentially, it was a recycling centre, fully staffed by people who were once homeless. They were brought in, they received the medical care they needed, um, legal assistance, food, um, housing, and they were upskilled to be able to work in this recycling centre. And this centre was called Reviver Volta, Or turn around. And I always thought that name was really beautiful because not only was this centre taking literal rubbish, taking things to be recycled and turning them into something that could be repurposed and reused, but they were also lifting people up and helping them to turn their lives around. Wherever we're at in life, by God's grace, we can turn to Him. And God wants to turn what looks like rubbish into something beautiful. He knows that our hearts are tainted and that we are sinful people and that there's stuff we're going to struggle with. But He wants us anyway. Joel 2 talks about a God who is gracious and compassionate. So when you come before Him, you don't need to fear, He will be kind gracious and compassionate. In the Jewish calendar there's a period in August to September called Elul, and Elul is a time of repentance. A Jewish person might describe entering Elul using this phrase, achor el akor, which means back to back. And by the end of Elul, they might say something like panam el panam, which means face to face. And this time of repentance reminds them that sometimes they turn their hearts away from God towards other things and that they need to turn back to God again. So are you feeling face-to-face with God at the moment? Would you feel back-to-back as if you haven't met with him in a while and there's something stopping you? When we know who God is, and are aware of the power of his presence, we can experience life and fullness. There'll be no need for idol worship. We'll know that that won't satisfy. The Baal worshippers' hearts were far from God. They weren't in a living relationship with him. And the outcome wasn't good for them. The end of our passage is pretty brutal. <coughs> Elijah commanded that they would all be killed because idol worship is deadly. It's toxic for our spiritual life and God wants us to turn around from past and present idols. He is eager for our attention and promises to show up with fire when we call. We can turn face to face with him again. So just to wrap up, I'm going to summarise those three points. Idols capture our attention and diminish our awareness. Idols can be anything that we worship that takes our focus away from God. We can't be fully aware of God's presence and what he's doing if we worship those other things. God can overcome any opposition. When Elijah courageously prayed to God, God came. God is real and who he says he is. He is powerful and able to defeat anything. Whatever opposition you're facing now, you can take that encouragement that God is greater. We need to turn our hearts back to God again. We can have a relationship with God like Elijah did we can pray those courageous prayers and see a holy fire fall. I'm just going to pray as the band come back up. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you desire our attention. We so often feel full of rubbish, full of sin, full of that idol worship we've been speaking about today God I thank you that you want to take us and transform us and make us into something beautiful God I thank you for the power of your fire that you showed Elijah that you didn't leave him alone in front of all of those people but you showed up and you defeated that opposition and because of that many people knew that you were the true God Lord, as we come to worship again now, I pray that we would feel your presence. That we would know you closely, Lord. Help us to pay attention to those small things you're doing in our lives. God, we so want to be more aware of you. And we're sorry for the times when we don't give you that attention. Lord, would you bring us back into your fold? Lord, I want to pray for people who are struggling with certain things at the moment that feel as if they've become a God in their life. Father, would you help them now to bring it before you? God, would your fire come? God, would you be present in this place with us now?